Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, September 11th. Derek Van Riper here with Ian Kahn. Ian in for Michael Beller today. On this episode, we're going to talk about what we're looking for in a long-term buy-low target. So players you'd want to go after in a keeper or a dynasty league. If you don't play in leagues like that, these would probably be bounce-back candidates for 2021 as well. Uh, we're going to talk about Forrest Whitley and his long-term value and whether or not that's still sky high compared to where it was in the last couple of years or if he's actually beginning to fall in the eyes of Ian and myself. We'll also talk about how Ian is waiting this shortened season when looking at overall player profiles going forward. We got a mailbag question as well. So here we are, Ian, two-thirds of the the under-the-radar crew, and I already kind of feel bad that Nando's not here. Yeah, I don't I don't know why I don't know how we're gonna be able to do this. I mean in a way, this is old school for me and you back into the rotor wire days when we used to do these, um, which is kind of fun. But missing out on our man Defino, it's just not fair. I just don't know what to do. You could just hear him going, well, I don't know why I wasn't called. I mean, well, why don't you call me? I, I was there. You know, put the kid to sleep and I'm there. What's going on? I'm in the garage. Just send me the Zoom link. No, I send me the Zoom link. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Where's my Where's my drink? Where's my, where's my rhubarb? <laughs> this one's being recorded about 10 a.m. Eastern, so we figured uh, Nando might have some other things going on, especially with the launch of our new fantasy football video show coming up this Sunday. So be sure to check that out at the Athletic huh. FS. We'll have all the details. That kicks off at 11 a.m. On Sunday morning, the whole crew, uh, with Nando working behind the scenes, Jake Seeley, Michael Beller, Brandon Funston, beat writers. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm the lead host of that. So basically, I'm just teeing everybody else up with nice questions and having a good time. So looking forward to being a part of that. But Ian, let's get into our first topic today. What are you looking for in a long-term buy-low target? So when you're Seeking out players to trade for in a keeper or a dynasty league, what kinds of things stand out to you as things worth buying into? Because uh, you know, and I spent some time talking about some stars who were struggling in a big way mm-hmm. yesterday, and you could still find silver linings in a lot of players. So I guess this is probably a what kinds of silver linings are you looking for when you're buying into some ugly stat lines? You know, I'm I'm, I'm looking primarily at age first. Uh, you know, there's a there's a, a league that you and I are in together called Maki, where it's a keeper league, and I find it fascinating. In these last couple of weeks, I think it's it's a key time, especially when people are really focusing on football, where you can really find some gems that are really under the radar. Sorry, use the use the name of our Wednesday show, but really under the radar, and you can get them for really inexpensive prices. Um, and the guys that who could sort of end up being special, you know, guys like Andres Jimenez right now. I mean, Trent Grisham is, is no surprise to anybody at this point. But a, another guy that is somewhat under the radar is Adam Duvall. I say this because he was available in a number of leagues this past Sunday. And in one of the leagues that I share with Robert Mershak, uh, a dynasty league, he's like, we really should pick up Adam Duvall. I'm like, Adam Duvall, Adam Duvall. And then look at what Adam Duvall is doing. Uh, it's a nice little pickup. He's not age appropriate. I mean, he's not the 24 year old stud. But but looking at guys like uh, Bonifacio, uh, Jorge Bonifacio, or Willie Castro, these are the guys I'm going to talk a lot about. Detroit Tigers because they're the ones who are getting opportunities now, and they also have had their prospect peak, and now they're sort of like the shine is off of them, and they're kind of just sitting out there on the waiver wire, and they could be easily grabbed. So these are guys that I'm trying to grab. Guys who are post-hype prospects, mainly. Okay, so post-hype prospects. That actually brings us to a lot of different players. And and a few guys that you mentioned, like Willie Castro, I don't think he, he is a prospect. If you look at organizational prospect rankings, he's on there for the Tigers. I think he's probably a top 10 prospect in the over to top 15 to be, yes. usually. Uh, but really? more of a, a question for him, I think, when you look at how most of the evaluations are written, if he's going to be an actual big league regular, or if he's going to be more of a utility guy. We've only seen 22 games, but the start of his career is really encouraging. Three home runs already, a little more power maybe than expected. Uh, I liked him coming into this season because I thought he could be sort of a Kevin Newman type player. I thought we'd get a little more speed than we've had so far, but there's certainly nothing to complain about with a rookie hitting 360 as he kind of gets things rolling in the second year of his big league career. How good do you think Castro can be? Is there a player he reminds you of? Is there another tool that you think we haven't seen yet? What I know is that right now he's a great buy. Because what he's doing right now is he's playing. 
every day and he's going to play every day because there was that time with Isaac Paradis where they were splitting third base and, and it kind of looked like par- Paradis. Is that my saying that right? Paradis? Did you hear? Nah, see, there you go. <laughs> see, there's even, even on the Friday show, there's going to be some proper uh, pronunciation fixing. Um, there was a time where Castro and Paredes were sort of sharing time, and Paredes had a little bit of the edge, frankly. And then once Nico Goodrum went down, and Willie Castro was the everyday player, and he started going in at shortstop, there was just a tremendous amount of upside. So for me, what I'm looking at is a guy who has the potential, who also has the opportunity, who then going into the offseason, what I'm looking at for Dynasty Leagues is I want to get all these guys now. So when I deal with a rebuilder during the offseason— what I can do is I can package a number of these guys, guys like Cedric Mullins, guys um, like uh, like Willie Castro. These are the guys you can package like three or four of them. Maybe one of them hits, maybe two of them hits. You might be able to get yourself a pitcher if you're in a competing mode that can help you win a championship the next year. Or you can just sit on these guys, guys like Roman Quinn. These are the guys that I'm picking up in August and September every year. And then people are like, wow, how did your team get so stacked? It's like, well, everyone else is focusing on football. I'm finding the guys that are getting the playing time during August and September, typically on teams that aren't in great shape. And because that's why they get to have the playing time, pick them up and then use them as tools in the off season to make my team better for 2021. Yeah, so I, I'm not a I I don't what what is the what do you see as Willie Castro's sort of surprising tool? You said Kevin Newman, but you know what 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 do you think he could become? I think there's going to be more speed than we've seen thus far. I don't think it's going to be like 25 or 30 steals or anything crazy like that. But I think we see a well balanced player in the long run. I think we see maybe like a 260 270 range average most years. Double digit homers. How many home runs? Double digit. Okay, like like yeah. teen, like low low to mid teens, twelve to fifteen. I think is a typical year. If he gets to twenty in his peak years, that wouldn't really be that surprising. Uh, the biggest mm-hmm. concern I have for for Willie Castro from more of a real life perspective, like as this team gets better, if the plate skills don't improve a little bit, if he doesn't get down to his upper level minor league strikeout rates, which were kind of in that low twenty percent range, if he doesn't get to that, that could be a problem. He's never walked a ton, so he's either going to start walking more or he's got to get the strikeout rate down. If one of those things don't happen, then I think he does have that downside of falling into uh, utility guy uh, roles, which you know are okay in deeper leagues, but then are less playable, of course, in uh, mixed leagues. The age is good, but a couple more, a couple of the other guys that I'm like looking at these weeks: Jared Walsh, first baseman for the Angels. Right, he's getting an opportunity to play. Actually, I really like the swing a lot. It's going to be hard to find, you know, with Pujols there, it's going to be hard to find every day at bats. But that's the kind of guy you can slip into your minor leagues in a dynasty league and just sort of sit there. Let him sit. Get your 350 at bats. See what he becomes. Another guy is Jose Marmalejos, um, who's over in Seattle. Another guy who has his first base eligibility, his outfield eligibility. That's where, look... You know, we talked about Dylan. We talk about Dylan Moore a lot because I love Dylan Moore, and I because I play in AL labor, and I found Dylan Moore before he sort of became an everyday player. I feel some sort of like love and deep deep affection for Dylan Moore, as we should all feel about players that were like, oh wow, I found that guy before anybody else did. I like this this Dylan this Dylan Moore fellow. But for Jose Marmolejos, he's also going to get playing time. Places like Seattle right now, places like Detroit, places like Texas. These are the places where guys are going to get opportunities and they are just, I'm telling you, grab them. Grab as many as they can. If you've got a guy who's playing five to six days a week and he's sort of just coming up and getting his first look, even if he wasn't a top prospect. Now, Jose Mormalejos was the minor league player of the year in the Nationals organization years ago, which shows that he does have, you know, he's got some tools. And he, But these are the guys who can turn into really great trade pieces which is how kind of how i like to play the game so this looks a lot at players that have been available on the wire or still might be available on the wire in a lot of leagues what about higher end players that you would have been trading for i realize in most leagues the trade deadlines now pass so you can probably unfortunately you could probably tip your hand a little bit more right now about what you would be looking for in some uh, maybe some star or mid-tier players that have underperformed like what stands out to you as worth buying into when surface numbers look bad you know a guy like byron buxton i just can't quit right 
So I kind of love when – or someone like Matt Olson. I, I read a tweet that somebody put out recently saying, God, I hope that Matt Olson just keeps struggling so I can get him at a better price in 2021. That's kind of how <laughs> – that's that's how I feel about guys like that. It's like if, if, if you believe in a guy and they're struggling, you want to see him struggle a little bit more because then you can go get them, right? Um, so – Someone like Tyler Glass now, his numbers really at 4.35 ERA with a 1.22 whip. We talk about this on Under the Radar a lot about like when does the window close? The window looks like it closed, but there was like a week there where he had really struggled and he like walked like six guys in one game and it was like, what's wrong with him? That's when I try to try to kind of dive in on those particular players. So someone like him, a guy like Adalberto Mondesi, frankly is somebody who is if I were if we were looking to buy at this point would still be a good purchase and if you just look at what he's done in the last 3 days he starts to give you a taste of what a comfortable Mondesi looks like don't you think yeah i think so and i think with both Olsen and Mondesi the thing that they have in common even though they're very different players they're doing the main thing you hope they would do Adalberto Mondesi, for as bad as the season has been, he's now got 13 stolen bases in 44 games. Like That's still mm-hmm. intact. Matt Olson is still hitting for a ton of power. His home runs, I think he's got 12 this season. His run production is good. 31 RBIs, 23 runs, maybe a little less than you'd expect in that second category. But still, like this is a good baseline profile. He's just not hitting for average. And I think when you look at Olson, it's pretty easy to see. He's still drawing a lot of walks. Strikeout rate's not off the charts bad. He just looks like he's had a pretty bad like quarter season in terms of batting yeah. average. Mondesi might be a little more complicated because he doesn't have a good approach. He's toolsy, but he's never had a good approach. And I think the thing about... He's young, though. He's, Don't you think he's young? Still young, I mean, and he's coming off a major shoulder injury, just like exactly. Byron Buxton. That's, like, these guys, we think the extra time sometimes is going to get them back to 100% or closer to 100%, but... If it brings you from 50% to 60%, you're still not even close to healthy. And also, we talk about this. We've also, you know, we talk about this with Nando all the time about the the different um, the years, right? Where you start out as a rookie and you're a freshman and then you become a sophomore, junior, senior. I'm looking for guys who are struggling in their in their late in their freshman year, early in their sophomore year, which means that they're typically 24, 25, 26. And when they're having a downward period. That's what I'm looking for. Like there was a, you know, if you look at before this season, you could not trade for Gavin Lux, period, right? He was the number two ranked prospect pretty much on everybody's list. Everybody looked at him. There's Wander Franco. I mean, you could argue certainly Joe Adele was up there and he had his struggles. All of a sudden, Gavin Lux looked like a piece that was, he was being moved. I, he got traded in one of my dynasty leagues three times in a week. Hmm. And he ended up on my team, man. He's going to stay on my team. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting to watch how these players sort of fall down, right? And and it's it's one of the dangers I think in dynasty baseball and keeper league baseball in buying at the top of somebody's value, because you're buying them at the very top and you spend all this extra. It's like somebody like Pete Alonso. That, and actually, that's my answer to my question later about who I think is the most overrated dynasty player. Pete Alonzo is somebody who, if you were buying him before 2020, you were paying $100 out of $100 for him or $99 out of $100. What are you paying for him now, DBR, you think? Compared to where he was in the offseason, probably yeah. 65 or $0.70 cents on the dollar. Yeah. And that's, I mean, isn't that something? Isn't that something? And and that might be that might be too high because maybe they figured him out. Maybe he's done too many TV commercials, which I know sounds silly, but you know his focus was on being a public relations fella for the New York Mets. If you live in New York as I do, it's like every time you turn on the TV, there's uh, there's Pete Alonso, and and it came to a certain point for me. I was like, I'd like you to hit more home runs and do a few less commercials. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I don't live in New York, so I, I haven't seen just how much work Pete Alonso has been doing uh, with, with the camera. But I do think the things I said about Olsen sort of apply to Pete, to Pete Alonso, too. He still has 11 homers in 42 games. It's a little bit below the pace we saw last year when he hit 53. The average What's his is, average, though? It's out of 234, but the K rate's actually a little better than last year. The walk rate's pretty much the same. 
He's not hitting the ball on the ground a lot more or anything. I think you could look at last season and say that a 53 home run baseline for any player is pretty much impossible. Like even peak Stanton, the projections would spit that out. But because of his injury concerns, that always seemed a little bit far fetched for him, or at least it was very risky that he was actually going to reach it. I think you could look at Alonzo's rookie season and say he's probably a 35 to 40 home run guy annually, which is still really good. That's an amazing power projection. But the problem with a player with that profile is that you usually get a zero in the stolen base category, and you don't often get great batting averages. I think we are seeing the downside range of Pete Alonzo's batting average, but I think just as he can hit 234 for a 42-game stretch or possibly even a full season, I think he could hit 275 or 280 for a full season. I think he's going to have a lot of variance in that category because of the type of player that he is. Now, what about Ramon Laureano for you? Is he somebody who is just having a struggle this year? Um, or is he somebody who is a 220? I mean, he's not a 227 hitter, but he came into the season as a, you know, as people could argue that he was easily a number two outfielder. Is it what, what are you seeing there and what are you thinking? Yeah, that one's a little more tough because, you know, part of the value last year came from stolen bases. He's had about... He's only got one. He's got a third of the plate appearances. He's got the one bag compared to 13 last year. He's walking a lot, so he's getting on base enough. He's had chances to run, just hasn't done it. Power hasn't totally dried up, but that's down. The defense hasn't been as good as it's been in the past. I'm not really sure what to make of it. Um, he's been a little bit unlucky, it seems, on balls in play at least based purely on BABIP. If you dig a little further into the numbers, maybe you'll find something like uh, an increase in pull rate or something that's ugly. But with Loreano, I don't really see that either. He's actually going the other way more often, which generally is good for your BABIP because you're using the entire field, right? You're not pulling the ball into his shift. So I don't see anything that stands out as a red flag. He stands out to me as more of a, a player I'd be looking at at a discount in 2021 or if my trade deadline hadn't passed, someone I'd actually be trading for right now. Cool. And what about this guy? Because this is someone who I'm sort of in one of the one of the dynasty leagues I play in. This player was being held for ransom. Like if you wanted him, you had to pay through the roof and then twice through the roof. And that is Dylan Carlson. And it just shows that the, the, the delicacy and danger really in prospects. What do you think of Dylan Carlson moving forward going into 2021? Is he somebody who you'd be buying this week? You know what I mean? He just got sent back down to the alternate site. So he, he's done. He's done for a while. Is he somebody who you're like, you know what? I want to get my hands on Dylan Carlson now while his owner is annoyed. Right. I mean, it might be a trade that you end up having to make in October or November, but peak frustration is there. I think most of the leagues I play in are filled with people who say he's fine. He's going to come back up and he's going to be a great player in 2021. And most people are pretty patient, but there's always one or two owners in a league that are willing to deal in a situation like this. The ground ball rate went through the roof. We're talking about 79 plate appearances. And has there been a team that's had a more unusual season than the Cardinals so far? And, and worth it in, his, in the first month of his freshman, I mean, literally the beginning of his career. Right, and he's so his, young. He's, he just turned 21 last October. So we're talking about a guy that's been young for the level everywhere he's played, had a very unusual ramp up to the start of his season, looked like he was going to win the job back in March before everything went on pause. It was so good at both AA and AAA last year. I, I can't look at less than 100 plate appearances and, and say that my opinion of Dylan Carlson's really changed. I, I guess I'm really surprised the Cardinals didn't stick with him. I know he was legitimately that no, bad. No, I understand why they didn't stick with him. Because, I mean, if you look at the situation, there's only 60 games, and every game counts like every game counts. So, you you know, it's it's almost like more like football, which is why it's so much more fun this year in so many ways, because it's like we, we're not playing 162 games where you can struggle for 20 games and we can get through it and we'll deal with it. Like his war is low. He's not helping the team win. He's making the team lose. You got to get rid of him. You know, you've got to, you've got to, if I'm the Cardinals, you got to put Edmund out there in the outfield. And then you throw Carpenter a third and give him some time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I understand. That's why I have, are you as fascinated by this 2020 season as I am where it's just like, it's, it's so, it's so intense. It's got so much uh, excitement to it. Yeah. I think it's been enjoyable in a different sort of way and certainly nothing we'd ever wish for again, as we've said before, but no, certainly uh, not. I think what it's made me wonder is, should we consider having more mid season drafts? Right. If you think about how the chase for the titles have 
played out this year, where it feels like you could lose or gain 15 standings points on any given day. You know, why not replicate that by getting more involved with midseason drafts? I know the NFBC last year had some Memorial Day second chance ones around that weekend, and they had some midseason like All Star break drafts. I took part in one of the All Star break ones and just drafted a bunch of guys that got hurt. So how did it go? Yeah, was it fun? It was, it was fun, except for my team. Within like three weeks, I think I had five of my first twelve picks or something were on the IL. So I got buried pretty quick. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to have a midseason draft. The thing that made it fun was that there weren't consensus rankings and there wasn't uh, ADP driving everyone's decision-making, yeah. right? Like, you kind of had to just fun. feel it out for yourself and, and make your own decisions. And even in-season, rest-of-season projections, which are still helpful, they're not as crisp as the preseason projections. So I just sure. I felt like it created a pretty unique challenge, and you still had that sprint to the finish, which, again, had I not drafted so many players who got hurt, maybe I would have been able to enjoy that. So I think this season has made me more willing to sign up for a league like that again when midseason 2021 rolls around. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that, and I, I see the upside in that. I'm a little worried about what 162 is going to feel like, to be honest, when we get back to it. Because it might feel really long, you know? it might. It, it's like the, the second guy on second base to start the 10th inning, where we have that now, and I think it's great. Personally, I love it. And I know that there are a lot of people who don't love it and they say it's not baseball. I get that and I respect their opinion about it. I personally love it. But let's say they get rid of it again. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a 2-2 game in the 16th inning. That's not so much fun. It's not as much fun, you know? And I wonder if we're going to have that same feeling next year with 162. I wonder if if I'm losing interest in fab or if I'm just exhausted with the every sport happening at once sort of overlap and uh, but being able to you know get outside a little bit right now after being stuck indoors for most of the spring, if that's keeping me from being less interested in fab than usual, uh, I, uh. I, I still do it. I still sit down and go through it and put the time in. Usually I look forward to that time. Usually like Sunday afternoon for a couple hours, I'm going through all my teams and you know, following up on the ads and drops piece and, and doing all the things that usually make my teams better. And I'm happy about it. And this year, I've just I feel like I should be doing something else every time I'm doing fab, which is really kind of a strange feeling. So I hope that when we get to 2021, hopefully life is closer to normal than it has been sure, this yeah. year. I hope that dread goes away because you don't want to you don't want to dread 26 weeks of fab. Definitely not. No, but it's so funny to me because over the course of 26 weeks, the fab can get a little tiresome in July. It's like, oh, man, when are we coming to the end here? But now, every time I sit down to do fab on Sunday, I'm like, yo, let's go. Come on now. First place in tout. Got to hold the spot. And which I'm, I'm going to tell you, Derek, it's not been a good couple of days. And I'm not going to hold this spot going into Monday. I do not think I'm going to be in first place on Monday in Tout Wars. I do not. I'm scared. It's I'm going to need some help because Dustin May, Clayton Kershaw, I mean, just, just oh, so many problems um but I, I i am enjoying it because it feels like every week matters so very much to me at least i i just i i've i've relished every day of this baseball season and i know everyone else is watching basketball people are watching football they're getting ready for the i mean i know there was a chiefs game last night and everyone's super excited chiefs texans and i used to be a football guy I used to play football but no no more for me so now is like prime baseball time, especially in these keeper leagues and in these dynasty leagues. I'm telling you guys, if you, I know people are super busy. They've got four fantasy football teams. They've got six fantasy baseball teams. They've got to figure out a way. Just focus on baseball if you can in September, because there are so many values that you can grab that boom, they're yours and they're yours forever. It's just, it's 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 better it, in so many ways. It's better than what was going on in August because everyone else is focusing elsewhere. So just like buckle down and do the extra work. That's what I would argue because it'll help you not just this year, but it's also going to help you in 2021. I want to talk about a, one guy who I'd be trading for, and I think it would be impossible to get. But I was watching him pitch the other night. Man, Jesus Lazardo is so good. It's scary. I think it's it's polish, right? Like it's just that is that what it is? It, it's that he's he seems very in control of not only commanding the ball but just of the moment as a whole. Like he he just he doesn't seem frazzled. And 
when you give a young pitcher three above average pitches and mm-hmm. that kind of poise, you have something really special. I'm telling you, man, watching the ball come out of his hand, it just whoosh, it's just and from the left side with that pace, you know, easy 94, 95, easy 94, 95. And I mean, he, he, I just was blown away. And I'm watching him, and he's another guy. Like I'm watching guys who I really like, and as long as I don't own them in big leagues, and when they give up more runs than they should, I sort of go, "Yeah, that's good news. Keep keep doing that because I'm going to try to get him." I mean, I don't know if I can. I don't think I. I still. I think Jesus Lazardo is about as expensive a young pitcher as you're going to find, like Mackenzie Gore, or like. Can can we tra- can we go to Sixto Sanchez right now? Yeah, let's talk about Sixto for a second, and talk about Forrest Whitley after that because you got a couple guys going opposite directions. But uh, the idea I've had in the last week or so is, is Sixto has come up in a few different conversations. Is that I think he's easily inside the top 100 overall for ADP in 2021. I mean, he could derail for the last few starts and maybe fall just below that. But I think he's laying the groundwork to be an easy top 100 guy. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you think he's just flying up the board and, and peaking in his value already, almost uh, just a couple of weeks after arrival? I mean, kind of. I I, I mean, wh- who would you take going into next year as a top 100 pitcher? Um, I'll ask you. Would you take Jesus Lazardo or would you take Sixto Sanchez? I would take Lazardo over Sanchez. So would I. And he's right, same. Who would you take next year? Would you take Brandon Woodruff or would you take Sixto Sanchez? So it's already getting pretty close. I think I would take Woodruff. The main thing I'm worried about with Sixto Sanchez, and you might have a few more toss-ups, which is totally fine, but I think here's the thing that keeps me from getting as crazy as some of the highest-end projections and estimates are going to be for him. His injury history is scary. His arm injury yep. is in the minors. He's, he's great. I, I think... It's big velocity. It's a great changeup. It's very good command. Great changeup. It's, it's an outstanding profile. I really like him, but I do think it's easy to see the highlights and to watch him pitch and look at those numbers and to get really caught up in that and to totally discount what was happening to his arm in the minor leagues. And I think that's where I'm going to be a little more careful when I start looking at him with guys that have a couple years in the big leagues. And I realize Lizardo has a scary track record himself so i think they're they're like more of a fair sort of comparison in that way mm-hmm. um, but yeah. i would i would take woodruff over Sixto sanchez for 2021 sunny gray i'm i'm still a sunny gray guy for sure uh, i've said that a million times and i think the only thing that would change my mind on that i know if, if the velo were to dip for sunny gray something along those lines then that could flip it but for now gray over sanchez Okay, so now I have I have a question that, that will I've got a, a toss up for you here that is is like kind of perfect in a way because it's like the older guy versus the young stud, but the older stud. Who are you taking next year? Are you taking Lance Lynn or are you taking Sixto Sanchez? See, this is one where I think our brains, at least my brain, is wired to take the young, exciting player because right? Lance Lynn as a name makes you think old, boring Cardinal. But he's not that guy anymore. Like Lance Lynn, the Texas Ranger, has been about a 330 ERA guy now since the start of last season with 300 strikeouts in 270-ish innings. I mean, I think his ERA is lower than that because this year he's at 2.52. Right. So he's, And last year he was under three. So, I mean, if, if I remember correctly, and I think I do. Yeah, he was a 367 last year, 313 fifth, though. Yeah, his FIP was about a half run lower. And it, it, I mean, the skills didn't feel that way. The skills back it up, though. The skills are good. Yes, it's ridiculous. That's why I'm asking. A lot of players, when they get to 2021 and they see the option between Sixto Sanchez and Lance Lynn, they're going to take, I think, they're going to grab Sixto Sanchez for the youth. But what they're not seeing is the chub on Lance Lynn. And the chub on Lance Lynn helps keep him healthy. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's the vibe I've got. He just he just keeps he's like he's like a ticking a licking and keep on ticking, Lance Lynn, you know? And people were people were discounting him this year, sort of saying, Well, last year was not really blah 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 blah. I wasn't discounting him. I was grabbing him as a SP two, SP three, and what has he been? An SP one. An SP one this year. He's been phenomenal. So for me, it's not even a it's not even a question. I, I'm not 
look, young arms, guys like Dustin May, guys like Julio Urias, guys like Sixto Sanchez. I'm not even talking about Forrest Whitley at this point. Part of what the teams have to do is take care of those arms. So you're not going to see the Marlins let him go 98 pitches, 110 pitches. Whereas Lance Lynn's going to throw you 120 pitches in a game. He can. He will. He'll throw you 115. What's the difference there? Well, the difference is he'll either give you five innings or he'll give you seven innings. And in those seven innings, you get a much better chance of getting that win. And depending on what kind of league you're playing, if you're playing in a points league, to me, it's just not even close because you're going to get similar strikeout numbers, aren't you? I mean, what is Sixto's strikeout rate right now? I mean, he looks fantastic. There's no question. And part of the game is having fun. And if you want to win... I don't know that young pitchers is the way to go. I like young pitchers, guys like Justin Dunn, right? Young pitchers who had pedigree, but who you can get in the 18th round. Yeah, I mean, maybe even later, yeah. Right, but if you're you're talking about a top 100 player in a 15-team league, that's a 6th, 7th round player. I just don't know that I want to bet on that. Now, I mean, he does have a little Jose Fernandez to him. I mean, he really is something, Sixto, but... That's that's why that's why I was giving you the, the this one or that one. All right, I'm gonna give you one more, which is sort of absurd, especially since we've answered all these other questions. But Clayton Kershaw or Sixto Sanchez? That's it's funny that that's even a question, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a bad question actually. Now that I think about it, it's it's sort of obvious. But here, I'll give you one more. <laughs> I would take the, Kershaw for the record. Yeah, of course, right. That's why I said it's a bad question. Here's a, here's a, here's one where you're betting on. Um, upside versus upside, right? You're betting on pedigree versus pedigree. Do you take Dylan Bundy or do you take Sixto Sanchez? Hmm. That's a good one. That's a good one there, DVR. This is the tricky thing. So Bundy's got a little bit of the Lance Lynn, like years of being a different guy kind of stuck to mm-hmm. him, right, where he hadn't figured it out. But this year he's got it all working. All working. And he's got the pedigree. Let's not forget, in 2012, he was a top three prospect in baseball. And the cool thing here with Dylan Bundy, by the way, is that he's not doing this with an uptick in velocity. He's doing it with the secondaries. He's doing it with the same arsenal that he was working with during his time in Baltimore. He's just throwing. He's just got a little bit more chunk around his belly. He's got a little bit more chunk around his belly than he used to. You're just looking for big pitchers. You're just looking for. I I, apparently I'm starting to. I like. It looks like I like big right-handers, big chunk (laughs) right-handers, and I love lefties. I just love young lefties. Nah, not so young. I like the Marco Gonzalez lefties, right? I like the, uh, you know, I always, I always find I like the Jesus Lazardo lefties. Those are the guys that I always tend to grab. Um, hold on, there's, there's, there's a. I realized this the other day. I was like, God, man, everybody's a lefty on your team. Um, you know, the Kershaws, obviously, the Kershaws, the the Danny Duffys this year, the the Marco Gonzalez's. Those are the guys that I'm making my living on this year. Marco Gonzalez is pretty freaking good, guys. He's been real good. I've I've been surprised. Are, I what are the underlying numbers? I'm sorry, we're switching back and forth. And Nando's not here to keep me on track. Not that he ever does. But what are the underlying numbers there for you for Marco Gonzalez, Stevie? It's a career best strikeout rate. He's always had a good mm-hmm. walk rate. This is the best one we've seen yet. Home run rate solid. Uh, he just looks like he's having a great all around season. And if you look at the strikeout rates back in 2018 he's been close to this level before so it's not it's not impossible to think that this is is who he is you start looking at the the pitch mix a little bit another guy that's not throwing harder he's actually lost velocity it's just 88.5 with the fastball but the secondaries have worked really well for him i i don't really know what to attribute this to i I don't look at anything in those basic pitch mix numbers and go, oh, okay, this is what he's doing. This is why it's working. He's just really not walking anybody, and it's got to be off-the-charts command, right? Like He's always yeah. had good command, but if you have elite command, you can get by with less stuff. It's like if, if one goes up, the other can go down a little bit, and you can deal with that. I think I've said this before because I remember thinking it, but when a team invests in a player before it has to, I want that player in Dynasty Leagues. And Seattle signed him to a five-year, $60 million contract, I think it is. Yeah, one of those pre one of uh, yeah, one of those. Yeah. Right. When a team does that, it means I want this guy on my team for the next five years and beyond, which means that they, they know him better than anybody, and they go, this is the kind of guy you want. 
those are the kind of guys that I try to grab as much as I can. Another guy that is sort of similar, and I'm curious where you're ranking him next year. These are all guys on my GDD team, by the way. That's why I have that team open. That's why I'm thinking of him. Is Zach Davies. What do you make of it? So here's my spiel on, on Zach Davies. I think Zach Davies was always a little bit underappreciated in Milwaukee. That's simple truth. Right. That's your, your, he, was your, he was on your team for a long time. Right. That trade. Ooh, DVR. How does that trade feel right now? It doesn't look real good. Give it some time, but it doesn't, doesn't look All good. Right. Does, does not look no, good. No, not right now. Career 380 ERA, 127 whip, right? That's a better than average big league starter. Mm-hmm. Zach Davies is generally not going to strike a lot of guys out. He's doing that right now. That's that's the most surprising thing. Good ratios for a stretch. He's done this before. Moving into a more favorable yes. home park makes that easier to do. Uh, being on a team that provides run support is good. Like he, He's ticking a, a bunch of boxes right now. But I didn't see more strikeouts coming from Davies. I don't think anybody did because no one touted him. And the thing that's different, he's actually working in a cutter more often. And he's throwing more changeups than ever. He's got a forty-one percent changeup usage. I mean, who, who with other pitches? Like usually, if you're going changeup forty percent of the time, you don't have anything else. It's fastball and a changeup and nothing else. He's got the fastball. He's got the cutter. He's got the change. I think you could say maybe seven, seven and a half Ks per nine is reachable in the future. I don't think he's eight plus. I think he's more of like a low twenty percent. K rate sort of guy. I think you still want to look at the long term overall strikeout track record and say that's probably who he is. And the other thing you got to keep in mind, I think with pitcher strikeout rates this season, I think the pitchers were pretty far ahead of the hitters when the season began. So there's probably a two yeah, to three week true. head start for most pitchers where you're going to see guys like Gonzalez and like Davies who who have good command and who are just you know solid pitchers. They're going to give us a little more in terms of K rate in this shortened season. Than we expected, and we got to be careful not to expect too much if we didn't see some sort of underlying change that supports that going forward. But I think the changeup is. I think the changeup. Anytime someone and Sixto's got that kind of changeup, doesn't he? I mean, he's got a. There was someone else. Who was it? That, how is is Sanchez's changeup that dominant? I remember seeing something on that. Oh, his changeup's nasty. It's right. It's really good. A lot of movement. Why doesn't Why doesn't everybody throw a changeup? I think it's because, really hard. <laughs> is, is that why? I think, it, I think it's hard to make it look like a fastball coming out of your hand. I think to have the arm speed the same and to then have that location where you want it and, and, and to get movement, like that's very hard to do. Well, I'll tell you, the guys who can do it, if you think back to Michael Walker when he was good, right? Early Michael Walker, early pre-shoulder Michael Walker, he essentially was pitching with two pitches and was almost impossible to hit. If you think back to it, do you remember when he was a rookie? Yeah, and he came up, and and then and he tried to throw a curveball, and the curveball just was not not a curveball. It was just nothing. But nowadays, like if you look at Zach Davies, guys who can throw that change up, I just if I were coach, if I were a pitching coach in the major leagues, I'd be like, let's work on a cutter and let's work on a changeup because those are two pitches that are just hard to hit. They're just hard to hit. So the fact that Davies is throwing so many changeups at least gives some explanation as to why he's the number 17 player overall in CBS. Number 17 player overall in baseball. That's a crazy. Undrafted in a lot of mixed leagues, too, because there was an yeah, expectation completely. that he'd be the guy that maybe would lose the rotation spot to Mackenzie Gore or Luis Patino or one of the other young starters. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash fantasybaseball and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash fantasybaseball today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash fantasybaseball. Getroman.com slash fantasybaseball. 
see now Luis Patino now Luis Patino so it's it's like it's it's like with actors right you've got the young actor who's in the hit movie and they're like the biggest thing in the world and they're getting paid 30 million dollars a picture and they're like oh my god they're going to be the next big thing then they make one flop and then all of a sudden you can get them for cheap <laughs> how much does Patino go down in value in this offseason because of the couple of blowups that he had what is that you know, high ERA look like to an owner where they go, oh, I guess he's not really real. That's the psychological part of fantasy baseball that I think people don't sort of look at quite as much. It's like, what does a guy, what does it make you feel like when you've got a top prospect who has a blown up ERA in the offseason? I'm kind of looking at it and just saying it's 14 and two thirds innings so far. I mean, that's just not, that's not that good. <laughs> it's just not that much of a sample size to, to even really care about it. So I see a, a blind buying opportunity. Like, f- even if there are flaws, even if the command isn't where we want it to be yet, even if the, the secondaries aren't as crisp as we'd hoped in this limited sample this year, I'm in on Luis Patino next year because the price is going to drop a ton. He's going to be nowhere near uh, the prices we're talking about with some of the other young starters on this episode. And you're going to have just as much ceiling. That's and that's that's that should be that should be the theme of this episode is Sixto, right? It's it's really about Sixto Sanchez and Luis Patino, right? Next year you can get Patino in your reserve round at the at the very least. Like let's let's just let's give an optimistic sort of outlook. Let's say Luis Patino has a rotation spot to call his own entering twenty twenty one. Not impossible. Yeah, all right. Then you're looking at pick two hundred. But in that range, higher, higher, uh, higher. Unless he's hot, unless he's hot in spring training. No, I, th- I think he goes where like May and Kopech and and Brendan McKay and where those kinds of guys were going this. Yeah, okay, year. but let's look at those guys: May, Kopech, and Brendan May. Right. Well, McK- McKay's hurt. Dustin May got hit by a comebacker. That was heartbreaking last night for me. And but Kopech is, you know, he not chose not to play. Like so, he chose. But no, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I think Patino. I don't think Patino. Is that my saying it right? Am I saying it good? Patino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I don't think he goes that high. And I think because he's got the 1.77 WHIP and the 5.52 ERA. And yes, for you, you're looking at it and saying, well, you know, it's only 15 innings and blah blah blah. But someone else is looking at it and going, why do I want a guy who's going to do that? I'm telling you, that's that's kind of how I. I would take. I would try to take advantage of guys who have um, the blowups. You know. Yeah, and I think this this touches on something that Todd Zola said last week when he was the guest on this show. He said he's weighting breakouts more heavily than players who flopped in this season for a variety of different reasons. I mean, if you think about playing in a pandemic and possibly having had the virus for some players who haven't played well and all these things that these guys are dealing with that might cause them to not be the same. I mean, for hitters, not having video could be a pretty big deal in game for some guys. I think at least a handful of guys have already complained about that. Um, So it's, it's kind of like a variable weight depending on what happened to that player. And I think that's probably a better nuanced approach than saying, it only matters 20%. It only matters 40%. Like, I, I think you can try to do it that way. No, Zola's right. I, I'm with Zola on that. Exactly the same. Like, Although I'm being hard on Pete Alonso, but that's just because I'm mad at Pete Alonso. You just don't like that's the just, way Pete Alonso sells mattresses. Like, that's... I, he's it's just... I, I don't... I, I It's deeper than that. But it's... <laughs> and I like Pete Alonso. And he's a nice man. Clearly a nice man. Not very. It doesn't seem. Well, I, I don't want to get too deep into that because I'm not sure about any of this. But I do. I, there have been moments where I'm like, "This is." You know, he goes, "Hi, this is Pete Alonso from the New York Mets." I'm like, "No kidding." Yeah, I'm aware. I know it's you. He didn't write that he, script, man. Come on, I got to play the role of Nando. I got to. I got to be like the <laughs> the foil here. No, no. He. It, it's just my frustration was like in the beginning of the season. What here's here's the problem when you start doing press like that and you start doing commercials. You add pressure to yourself in a different kind of way as a ball player. Because then when you struggle, you're like, wait, I'm the face of the Mets and I stink. And and you take it that much harder instead of sort of just being a guy on the team. That's all. That's all. And I, I, I may be being unfair to him again because I paid I paid twenty six dollars for him in Tout Wars. Um, and was counting on him to do more, but it's been fine. And maybe he'll get hot now, which I need him to do. And if he does, oh my 
God, will I talk about how much I love that Pete Alonzo. Glad he did so many commercials. So I got one last question for you before we go. Shoot. Uh, it's related to these young pitchers we're talking about. Do you still have faith in Forrest Whitley after what has turned into yet another lost season for him? You know, man, there is a guy in one of the leagues that I play in who's a, you know, muckety-muck um, fella, and he traded Jacob deGrom for Forrest Whitley like a year and a half ago. And the moment that happened, I went, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> a year because and a half ago, seemed... you could justify it based on how people not viewed how. Whitley. You... I'm not saying it was a good idea. <sighs> I'm saying it was justifiable yeah. then. But see, that's the danger in buying the youth. It, it, with pitching, yes. Like I think if you flip yes. Jacob DeGrom in a league like that, you're getting Gavin Lux or Bo Bichette or someone else. A year and a half ago, you're getting a top 10 hitting prospect back instead. You're not going yeah. older pitcher to young pitcher. You're going older ace to stud position player because that's the better player to be invested in for the long term. Uh, without question. And so, I mean, look, if, he's, if, if he was worth Jacob DeGrom, close to Jacob DeGrom a year and a half ago, is he worth... Uh, 20 cents on that right now would you say 30 30 cents on that right now 20 to 30 cents yeah i mean i think that's what you're going to get in a trade in most cases but there are still some people out there that are ranking him very high people who i respect are, are doing that and there are people who are trading for him that are yeah still paying I, I, and a I lot get more than that to get him which i think well is no that i don't i that, that i can't i can't endorse that i mean i think if you can again it's about this is why i always tell people get on the telephone because when you get on the telephone, you can hear from the other owner how they feel about the players that they're trading. And they and those players can hear how you feel about the players that you're trading, which is how you can end up making deals that work for both players. So if you're if you're dealing with somebody who you know has sort of had it with him, like, you know what, I've had it with Forrest Whitley. Will you please take him? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take him. Yeah, I'll, I'll take your headache. You take my headache. <laughs> That's the kind of trade that I can see getting Forrest Whitley for. But, you know, maybe now's the time to buy Forrest Whitley. How is this? What do you think, DVR? I'm not buying him right now, even though there is a discount. I think there's a command problem there that was obviously apparent in the minors last season. As good as the stuff looks in the fall league, I do think we have a couple of examples now where the Astros have had good stuff and bad command and haven't made it work. I think Josh James is a good example of that. And I say this knowing that. Whitley has a deeper, deeper arsenal. So if it's not a steep discount, I'm not even thinking about it, and I'm not seeking yeah. him out. I think that's the best way to say it. I'm not seeking him out in trades right now. Right. I, I, I'm, in the same, I'm in the same boat. Though, let's say we're in a 50, you know, we're doing the 50-man draft next year for NFBC, right? And it's November, and I'm insane, and I want to do another one, right? Because I just can't wait to start up again, right? <laughs> Not impossible. Didn't do it this past year, but I, I imagine it could happen this year. If I could get Farce Whitley in the 40th round, I'm grabbing him. Yeah. 38th round, I'm grabbing him. Because there is upside there, if he can put it together. Or he's Mark Pryor. Yeah. Or he's... Uh, what was that? What was that other kid from uh, from Houston that got traded to Philly and then retired? Mark Appel. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean Mark Appel was the number one pick in the draft ahead of some pretty great ball players. You can imagine what Houston would be like if they didn't take Appel. So you know, I think I think that we're on the same page on the Whitley. It's just crazy. Look at the scouting grades. He has five above average pitches, but he has below average command. So if it clicks, the payoff is going to be massive. If it doesn't. I mean, it's going to be very frustrating. Maybe it's a Tyler Glass now sort of development track where it just takes yep. him. A I think couple that's extra probably years. right. Actually, I I like that. Why don't we throw? If you said like I was buying Glass now when he was a reliever in the Pittsburgh system before he got traded to to Tampa. That price was I was so low in trades. So low. Oh my god! And, and I mean, I got him. Price does not reflect that at all yet. Exactly, and that's the point. Yeah, and that's the point. We James Anderson and I grabbed. Tyler Glass now, I think it was in, in the RDI 20-team draft, I believe in the 28th round. So that would be 460 players in. Hmm. That's where we got Tyler Glass now. That's about where I'm drafting, well, maybe a little higher on Forrest Whitley, but not much, man. Not much. Yeah. I, I like him in the, the 50-rounders, though, like you said. I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's where good... 2021, that's where my interest lies. I think he's a smart dart in those situations. I think in yes. AL only, if he's a buck or a reserve guy, like 
you, you take your chances. Labor's tricky because you got to have him active the entire time if you buy him in the auction, and he's right. You can't buy him in the auction yeah. and labor. I mean, you really can't. And and that's you've got to wait for him to be a reserve player. Although in labor, you can put him down on your bench if he's in the minors, which he's been all year. Because I think Steve Gardner has him. Right. I believe Steve has him. But that's the problem. And he has him. You have to decide if he's up if you buy him in the auction. You either have to cut him or you have to play him. And that that could be difficult depending on oh. how the command looks. I guess I will tell you, labor's fun, man. It is labor fun. AL. It's fun. you're an NL, right? You're an NL. Yeah, I'm an NL. Labor AL is it's such a it's such a um, puzzle. You just have to constantly just be like, all right, wait a minute. If I give you this and I take this, guy like Tanner Rourke is actually has value. You're grabbing um, Tommy Malone. Mm-hmm. You know, risking that, uh, trying trying to get the Tommy Malone thing to work out. <laughs> man, and it worked there for a few weeks, but then when it falls apart, it really falls apart. But here, I just want to put one other guy out there. Edward Olivares is a guy that he's sitting out there on your wire. He's the kind of guy I'm grabbing everywhere. I was talking about the Texas. I was talking about the Detroit Tigers players. Edward Olivares. A guy with a bat in San Diego, one of those guys that they had to move. That that would be fascinating for us to do one day is like figure out why San Diego had to move all the and you as the owner of San Diego and OOTP know these players better than anybody. You know, Edward Oliveras was going to have to be exposed to the Rule Five draft, so they had to move him. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to see because Oliveras could very, very well be the answer in Kansas City. And he he's he's available in, in Dynasty Leagues, some. And he's available in keeper leagues. Some, yeah. He he landed in playing time heaven. So I'm with you there on Olivares in, in leagues where he's available. I think he's absolutely worth picking up. Now I know you've got a hard out. I've got a hard out. So we got to wrap things up. But I do want to pass along uh, this new offer we have for the Athletic: one dollar a month for new subscribers. Theathletic.com/slash/fantasy-baseball-podcast that gets you all of our fantasy baseball stuff, all of our fantasy football stuff league-wide coverage for all of the major sports, team coverage, everything you could want for one subscription, easily the best price we've offered uh, in the 18 months or so that I've worked for The Athletic. So go to theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast if you're not already a subscriber. Uh, Thanks to the many of you who are supporting the site with a subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any place where you can leave us a nice rating and review, please take a moment to do that. You can find Ian on Twitter at iancon4. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Ian, thanks for stepping in for Beller today. That's my pleasure. And, and you're my brother, and we miss you, Nando DeFino. And thanks for listening, everybody. All right. We are back with you on Sunday with our waiver episode. Have a great weekend. Good talk. <laughs>